about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hello, my name is Thomas, and today we'll be reading John 4, 27 to 54. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who repeats, reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the towns believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had all seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servant met him and the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. This is the word of God.
hoping this will fix itself because it is tricky without to use. I mean, the, you, the slides are pretty lame to be honest, but it helps me to go through them. All right, well, maybe this will fix itself, maybe it won't. Um, can you just progress along to just the introduction slide? Thanks. Now the next one, that's the one. Hmm, that's a bummer, anyway. Okay, let's pray uh, and not let that bother us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We commit this time of reading it and listening it to you and ask for your blessing. Teach us of your work and of how it gets done and of your spirit who moves freely. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, today we pick up the second half of, of a wonderful story in John's Gospel uh, that we began last week. And in this second part, what we see is lots of people coming to faith. You might have noticed it when it was read. I hope you did. Um, last week, we left off with Jesus telling the Samaritan woman uh, that he was talking to that he was the Messiah. Um, she now rushes off and tells others about him, and they come, and what happens is a kind of extraordinary awakening of faith. Lots of Sar Samaritans believe, it says. Um, then in the second half of our passage, we hear about another man and his whole family who also come to believe. What's more, the passage itself reflects on these dynamics. Uh, at a number of points, Jesus' words and the narrative, they draw attention to the, kind of the question of and how it is that people come to believe. So this passage is about how people come to believe in Jesus and, and you know, people coming to faith, which is interesting and important to us as a church and as individuals. As a church, the task of sharing Jesus with others and helping people find their way to Christian faith, it's right at the centre of our mission and vision. If you don't believe me, have a look at the mission and vision on the back of the sheets. That's what we're on about. We want people to, to come to faith in Jesus and grow in that. Um, and so what we see in this passage has got to be real, of, of really great interest. But it's also interesting to us as individuals in a whole bunch of ways. Some people here are still making their way to Christian faith, still working out what it means for them to believe in Jesus, which is so wonderful. Um, others of us long for people we know to come to or return to faith. Our friends or family members, parents, brothers, sisters, children, maybe colleagues or neighbours. We also approach this question of faith at a particular time and in a particular place. Australia today, in Australia today, it often feels like the gospel is kind of in retreat. Um, and at a big, big picture level, that's clearly true. A lot less people go to church and call themselves Christians than used to. In 1996, 73% of people in Newtown identified as Christians. And 18% so 18 of people, that they're included in that 73, identified as Anglicans. Not all Anglicans are Christians, but most are. Um, you know, that was, that's a lot of people, right? Now, those figures are more like 20% and 5%. Faith in Jesus seems to be in retreat. So let's turn to this story with real interest and see what we can discover about faith and how it is that people come to believe. 
Uh, we're going to look at it in two halves. Can you go to the slide with the outline? Uh, two halves and then draw some reflections. Sorry, by the way, that that slide is not um, on... No, it's still not working. That's all right. Sorry, by the way, that's, that, that outline is not in your outlines, uh, but that's, that's where I'm going with it. Okay, first point, an extraordinary harvest. Um, let's begin where we left off last week. Jesus' disciples return, and they are shocked to find him talking to a woman alone, a Samaritan woman, actually. But they don't ask him why. I, I don't know why they didn't ask him. Maybe they're just too embarrassed. You know, the boss is doing something. It's, it just looks a bit dodgy, you know, to them in that culture. Um, maybe they should have asked, but they don't. But she, in the meantime, rushes off and she leaves her water jar and goes back to town and she starts telling people, he just told me everything I ever did. Go back and read the first half if you weren't here. But um, basically, she's amazed that Jesus somehow knew her whole life story. And she says, could he be the Messiah? Now, the people, what's really interesting, the people take her seriously. It is interesting that they take her seriously because she probably wasn't a kind of respected person. She's probably a bit of an outcast. Um, you know, she's had a pretty complex family life. Last week, uh, Kieran pointed out to me that the fact that she's coming to get water at noon is probably a, a, an indication that she's, she's trying to avoid people on the whole. You know, that's not when you go to get water. Um, but they believe her. Really interesting. Um, maybe there was something in her urgency, maybe something different about her, something incredibly authentic in what she was saying. Maybe also someone had told them that the Messiah was coming. We'll hear more about that. Just go to the blank slide now. Thanks. Meanwhile, she's doing this. The disciples, they don't appreciate what's happening here. In fact, they suspect, they actually kind of suspect Jesus has gone a bit fuzzy in the head. Maybe, probably the heat has got to him here. Maybe he's dehydrated. He should eat. Rabbi, teacher, eat something, they say. We'll, we'll look after you, Jesus. Now, they're not actually wrong that Jesus is hot and tired. He, he is, we know that. But they have missed that something amazing is unfolding here. And it's giving Jesus new strength. He says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Do you see that in the, in the passage? I have food to eat. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty enigmatic, that statement. And so you can't really blame the disciples for thinking that he does just have some food. Maybe somebody brought him some. Maybe he's got a Mars bar tucked in his robe. But then Jesus explains, verse 34. This is on the slide. Thanks. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he goes on at more length, verse 35. Don't you have a saying... It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Some things here are not entirely clear. Like, we don't really know what that first saying was. It's still four months until harvest. I'm told that wheat takes four months to harvest. Maybe that's got something to do with it. But I don't really understand why that's not just 
you know, a sentence. Why is, why is it a saying? But the overall message of what Jesus is saying here is, is pretty clear, I think. He's describing what's happening here with the Samaritans with the image of a harvest. And he's saying two things about it. First, he says, with a harvest, the time comes when there's a harvest. A joyful reaping of the fruit of what has been sown. And, and the harvest time is now, he's saying to his disciples. And you need to wake up to it. Secondly, he, he's saying that there are two different kinds of work that both contribute to a harvest. There's sowing and there's reaping. And you don't have a harvest without either, but those works are different and they're often done by different people. One sows and another reaps. And you disciples, he says, you're in the position of reaping the work that others have sown. Now, we can't know for sure, but Jesus may well have been talking about John the Baptist here. Um, In the previous chapter of John, chapter 3, verse 23, it says that John was baptizing at Ainon near Salim. We don't know exactly where that was. Archaeologists, you know, contest it, but it was almost certainly somewhere in Samaria. Um, And so Jesus may well be wanting the disciples to see that they are in the position of reaping the fruit of John's work of telling them that the Messiah was coming. And that would make sense, wouldn't it? It would make sense of why the people responded so positively. If John had been there telling them the Messiah was coming, and then this woman suddenly says, come and see this guy. He could be the Messiah. Well, a big harvest as a result of this is what happens. An extraordinary harvest occurs among the Samaritans. Many of them believe in Jesus, They believe the woman's testimony at first, and then Jesus' words confirm them in this faith. Jesus stays with them for two days, teaching them. And because of his words, it says in verse 41, if you see that, because of his words, many more became believers. In verse 42, this is on the slide, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Every part of this is amazing. The number of people. The way this woman's testimony has such an impact and then Jesus' testimony confirms it. The fact that Jesus and his disciples, all Jews, were so warmly welcomed by Samaritans and stay with them. Remember that Samaritans and Jews were deeply hostile to one another most of the time. The way the Samaritans treasure the words of Jesus like this, and and, and most of all, this incredible confession of faith they make at the end, this man really is the saviour of the world. This is beautiful and amazing. It's a miracle, an incredible awakening of faith. This episode provokes all sorts of reflections. Um... Just ignore the next three slides, by the way. I had some headings, but I changed them all this morning. So just blank screen it for a bit. Um, It does provoke all sorts of reflections. I'm going to restrict myself to saying three things. Um, Firstly, in the light of the terrible events of the last fortnight, I think we should notice that this episode, in which Jesus is so warmly received by people who live in the land, but were hostile to the Jews 
it points us to what Christians must hope and pray for in the Middle East today. I mean, the Samaritans are not the same as the Palestinians or anything, but it's like a pointer to what we might pray for, I think. This is complex and vexed. I don't at all want to kind of get into the intricacies of it. Let us just not forget that there are Palestinian Christians in Gaza, many of whom have cried out for help this week. Last week, if you were here, you'll remember that I talked about the special place the Jews must have for Christians. I stand by that. This week, though, let us also notice the way Jesus delights in the faith he discovers among the Samaritans. And let it remind us that for Jesus, according to Jesus, the time had come when others were invited in. When God's worship was extended to the nations. And so let that open our hearts and teach us what to pray. And I I tried to lead us in prayer before along those lines, so we, we need to keep trying to do that. Second point, less specifically but more relevant directly to us, I think, is that this episode is an amazing reminder of to be open to the unexpected work of God. To be open to the unexpected work of God. The wind blows where it chooses, said Jesus back in chapter 3, meaning that the Holy Spirit, who's like the wind of God, does the Spirit's work in ways that we cannot predict. Here we see the disciples totally blindsided by an incredible awakening. They don't realize until they are right in the middle of it. We are simply not in control of the Holy Spirit, you see. The Spirit does what the Spirit chooses. And in the end, we cannot plan it, predict it, or contain it. We can find ourselves suddenly at the climax of a work we might have guessed was only beginning. We make all sorts of plans as a church and as individuals, and that's fine. There's no alternative, actually. And to not make plans can be careless and lazy, but God is God And he is free. And he does not have to consult with us about his plans. So what does that mean? Let us be prayerful people. Ready to be called if the time comes to open your eyes and look at the fields that are ripe for harvest. Friends, when was the last time you took time to pray about your role in God's mission? And to ask God to help you be ready for whatever he calls you to. The third thing I want to say is that this story is a reminder also not to be discouraged about the work of sowing. What Jesus calls the work of sowing. The work of sowing is hard, you see, because you don't get to see the harvest. A harvest, working in a harvest, can be full on, it's busy and intense, but it's full of joy and excitement because you get to see what's happening and the fulfillment, but the work of sowing takes real faith. Did you notice that in verse 38, Jesus says, it's the hard work. But there is no reaping without sowing. And so in the end, Jesus says, the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. That's a reminder and it's an encouragement that we need to hear. Because very often the life of a church, even a church which is very switched on to mission, 
very often it doesn't look like much is going on. It doesn't look very impressive because it is a work of sowing. Maybe we are in this season now in Australia. As we try new things, as we try to open up and share the gospel, as next year we try and start a new congregation down at Erskineville, it may all look pretty lame. This is hard ground around here these days. The soil is tough and dry. It's going to take a bit of sowing. The same often applies to all kinds of Christian mission. People can work in a place for years, decades, and see almost no fruit. You might pray for and seek opportunities with neighbours or friends and family, and it feels like there's just nothing going on. But don't be discouraged. That is just what sowing is like sometimes. But who can say? Who of you can see what a harvest will come one day by the Spirit's power? And when that happens... Those who sowed faithfully will not be forgotten. Okay, well, in the second half of the passage, Jesus leaves the excitement and joy of this success among the Samaritans. Go to the the part two slide here. uh, And returns to his home country, Galilee. So Jesus leaves Samaria, gets back to Galilee. Um, The important thing to take in here is... The contrast. Just go to the blank slide, thanks. Um, Nothing like what happened in Samaria happens in Galilee. Uh, We might not notice this at first because, did you notice it says the Galileans welcomed Jesus? And I'm sure they did welcome him, but they don't welcome him like the Samaritans. Actually, it seems more like they welcomed him just as something interesting. Uh, You know, an attraction worth knowing about. Oh, this... This guy, yeah, yeah, he's, he's super interesting. Yeah, you should check, check him out. Just that kind of curiosity. The contrast is highlighted by Jesus' words in verse 48, if you see them there. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Now, these words are said in response to this one man's request, but actually they're a judgment on the whole reception that he's getting. Remember that the Samaritans, they believed simply when they heard Jesus' words. Back in verse 41, it said, because of his words, many became believers. That's clearly not what's happening in Galilee. And this was because, as Jesus had said, a prophet has no honor in his home country. That's verse 44. If we think about it, that saying is not that hard to understand. When people know someone in a normal way, It just makes it harder for them to believe that that person could bring anything new. Those who knew Jesus in a normal way, maybe they knew his family, maybe they'd had building work done by his dad, had them round for brunch, they'd seen him go through puberty and get sick. It put a barrier in the way of them getting anywhere near where we saw the Samaritans get to. This is the saviour of the world. They just, they just can't believe it of this guy. They knew him when he had you know, bum fluff on his chin. I reckon we all know this dynamic in one way or another. Maybe you know it in the doubt your family have 
taking, in, taking your Christian faith seriously, in thinking that it's anything very significant or very challenging. I felt it in a much less significant way. When I returned to Australia after doing a PhD in Scotland, I came back, you know, I had actually learned a lot and I probably, I kind of felt like I'd you know, been through a significant experience and then I had to talk to people who knew me when I was at youth group. You might feel this when you try and tell your friends and colleagues about Jesus and they've just seen one or two too many ordinary things to, to really believe you. Something like that is the problem Jesus faces when he returns to Galilee. When he, when he goes to Cana, it's like people know what to expect. They're interested, but they're not really open to him being really new. Except Jesus does break through with one man and his family. As we've read, it was a royal official who was in desperate need. Desperate need, you see, can destroy normality. It can destroy familiarity. It can open you up. And his son is dying. And so he begs Jesus. Now Jesus responds, as we've seen, by, by calling out the Galileans' hunger for signs. But just because he does that, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about this guy. The guy begs him for help and Jesus says, go, your son will live, verse 50. And then a striking thing happens. The man took Jesus at his word. He steps out in faith. And he departed. He believes Jesus without seeing a sign. And he has to go that night and into the next morning in faith. But then he does see a sign. The next day as he's on the way back, he meets his servants and they tell him that his son is better. And he asks and he finds out when it was and it was the exact time that Jesus said that his son would live. And so, John tells us, he and his whole household believed. The man ends up believing fully in Jesus when he sees the sign. But in this case, I don't think it's a negative thing. When Jesus says to all the people, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe, I think that is a criticism. But in the case of this man, that dynamic has actually been redeemed. The man's faith in Jesus is true and the sign has confirmed him in it. Jesus' words are a rebuke to the crowd, but they're a prophecy for this guy. Okay, well, what do we take from this encounter? Two things, I think. First, let's not pretend that the normal dynamics of human life are no barrier to people coming to faith. They are. If people had trouble seeing Jesus for who he was because they knew him, why should we expect it to be any different for us? In Australia, the reality is that the history of Christianity in this country can get in the way of faith. People are just too familiar. They're familiar with the church. They know parents or aunts who are Christian, often aunts, I think, and who for all their strengths are still very familiar. I think that's fading over time, but it's still very much there. And we shouldn't pretend that this familiarity is not an object 
an obstacle to faith sometimes. It is. Sydney today is hard ground for the gospel for this reason, among others. But we should notice as well, and we should be encouraged by the way that even in the midst of that breakthrough, despite a sceptical context, disabled by familiarity, from really being able to see Jesus. This man and his family, they come to a real faith, a genuine faith. They realise, like the Samaritans did, who Jesus is. They, they, they realise he's the real deal and they believe in him. And that should be an encouragement because it is another reminder of the freedom of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wills, says Jesus. The power of God is not shut up in the normal patterns of human life. What is natural and predictable and expected, it does not lock down the work of God. Let that be an encouragement to us in this area of Sydney that can seem very disinterested and in this time in which the gospel seems to be in retreat. Let it be an encouragement to you with friends and family who seem so decided, so closed. All of that is real, humanly speaking. Let's not pretend it isn't, but it's not decisive. In the end, we can always be hopeful. And we can always be joyful, even in the face of great indifference and even hostility And do you know why? Because in the end, the task of mission, the work of helping people come to faith in Jesus, it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus because it is the work of God. Did you notice back in verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The work of calling people to faith is the work of God. And he's given it to Jesus to complete it, and he will complete it. Because in another way, he already has completed it. Last week, uh, if you were here, we noticed the link between Jesus' promise to this woman of water that would, what, that would make her never thirst. You see, he offers her this, and we notice the link between that and his words on the cross when he says, I thirst. Well, look how those words go on. You'll need to skip ahead a bit, but this passage, next slide, the, the great, thank you. Look how that passage goes on later. This is Jesus on the cross, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. The work is finished. Those are the last words of Jesus in John's gospel, and they bring to an end a theme that runs right through the whole gospel. We'll see it again in chapter 5. Jesus Jesus speaks of finishing this work God has given him. And then he says at the end, It's finished. The work belongs to Jesus. He is the one who does it, and he has done it. And now the Holy Spirit is blowing that finished work through the world 
and into our lives. And how, just as we finish, how does the Spirit do that? Just go to the blank slide, thanks. How does the Spirit do that? We see it clearly in this passage. I hope you noticed it on the way through. The Holy Spirit does this through the Word. The Samaritans believe because of the woman's testimony. But you know, in the original, it's, it's even more emphatic. Through the word of the woman's testimony, it says. And in verse 41, where it says, because of his words, many more became be- believers. In the original, it's singular. Because of his word. Not a big difference, but it's just John's making a point, you see. And then at the end, the royal official believed Jesus' word. The Holy Spirit awakens faith through the word of God, the message, the news about Jesus. If God wants to, he can add all sorts of signs and wonders. I mean, who's going to tell God that he's not allowed to do that? He can if he wants. But the word never lacks power in itself because it is never without the greatest sign which is Jesus himself, the saviour of the world. The word that speaks of Jesus is what the Spirit uses to blow into our hearts and make us new. So let me finish just with a really simple encouragement. If, you, if you're honest, like maybe you wouldn't say this in Bible study, but actually if you're honest, this is what you... If you feel like you've lost faith in mission... You've lost faith in sharing Christ with others or in believing that anything can really happen. Renew it. Renew it. We never need not be hopeful, whether we sow or whether we reap, whether the ground is soft or hard. We never need not be joyful. We never need to give up faith or think We need anything more than God's word because Jesus Christ has finished the work of God and God the Holy Spirit is free and he is blowing a wind of new life in Christ into this world by his word and nothing at all can stop it. Amen. We are going to respond by confessing our faith in the word of God. But Jordan's going to lead us, and that's from Psalm 119. I hope it's a helpful way to respond. Please join with me for these wonderful words, beginning with, I am led low. I am led low in the dust. (laughs) I give an account of my ways, and you answered me. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts. My soul is weary with sorrow. Keep me from deceitful ways. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. I run in the path of your commands. 
well done. I even forgot to mention that it was going to be call and response, but you picked up the slack for me. What we're going to do now is uh, we're going to invite Andrew back again, and we're going to have a short time of Q&A. Uh, and Andrew will introduce this a little bit further, but we thought it would be helpful to have some time to reflect over the last couple of weeks and maybe clear up some outstanding questions you may have had. Yeah, so we used to do this quite a lot, and we haven't done it as much lately, but we do really want to um, make sure we sometimes make space for Q&A. So, um, and in the Genesis series we had before, we did... We had some separate Q&A times, which was good, but they're back in the service sometimes now. We won't go too late, don't, don't worry, but I'm really happy to take questions about tonight or the last couple of weeks or just random stuff, but that'll be weird. So are there any questions people have? Yeah. Hello. Uh, so you, you made a bit of a point on how the Jews did not want to believe or, or struggle to believe without a sign. Uh, and I'm, I, I think that's true to an extent. But the woman at the well also seemed to not believe without a sign. She's pretty reticent, or reticent's the wrong word, resistant to believing Jesus until he tells her about her life. Yeah. What are we supposed to make of that? Oh, I don't think it's... So I don't think that... So in, in John's Gospel, right, the, the dynamic of belief and signs is complex, right? Um, sometimes it's a negative thing. Um, like, so I think it is a criticism when Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. It is a criticism of the, the overall attitude. I think it is there. But also, this man he's talking to there does believe when he sees a sign in the end. But he's already kind of begun to put his faith in Jesus in that way. Um, I think the, the, I mean, there's a lot more we could say and reflect on about the dynamic of faith and seeing signs. Um, with the Samaritans, yes, this, this, the initial woman, it is, the, it is when Jesus knows about her life that she's kind of shocked uh, into faith. But it's interesting that the Samaritans... Um, it says explicitly that they believed Jesus when they heard his words. So I think John's trying to kind of push us towards um, the fact that in the end, it's the words of Christ that we need to put our faith in. Um, though we, there is always something to see. And, and the something to see is Jesus himself. Um, and... I think when those signs point, when signs point us to Jesus Himself, as they do for the Samaritan woman, and as they do for the, this uh, ruler, I think they're kind of playing a positive role. But when they're just interesting for their own sake, you know, I think that there's a kind of criticism there. I mean, Abe, it's a good question, and to be honest, there's people who who write on this in John's Gospel, and I don't think I know enough. I find it perplexing the the kind of theme of signs in John's gospel because John's also, you know, he's quite positive about signs at one level. It's just mixed and I just tried to say what I thought was there to say about it from this, but it's a good question and probably worth mulling over more. Yeah. I'm kind of retreating a little bit as I say that, but that's all right. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting gospel and yeah, I'd like to know more. There's a question up the back. Thanks so much, Andrew. Um, one of the things you said last week or pointed us to was, it, was the fact that Jesus 
um, in his, the way that he interacts with a woman, that it's full of grace and truth. And obviously that's something we pick up from John 1. And I think in light of what you have said about how hard the soil can be in Australia and perhaps Sydney more particularly at the moment, how do you think we, but yet the word is so important and holding out the word of the gospel, the truth that comes in Jesus, how do you think we do that with grace and truth um, in this age at this time? Man, that is such a good question. So if you weren't here last week, the passage, the bit of the story I'm, Caitlin's reflecting on there, um, I'm just doing this to buy myself some time, by the way. Um, I, I was really struck as I read that story by the, 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 the way in which Jesus interacts with her and the way it's kind of full of truth but also gentle. You know, it's a really good question. I, I actually think it's a real theme in the New, in the New Testament um, that the way we are to relate to those around us actually with one another as well, but also to outsiders, is meant to be full of gentleness. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the best examples of this is in um, Paul's letter to Titus, um, but it's, it, there are actually others, but I just, just this is on my mind. Um, and Paul, Paul says, um, uh, towards the end of Titus, he says... Uh, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Right? That's his summary of the kind of stance we're to have towards outsiders. It's, and it's really characterised by gentleness. Um, I think it ought to also be characterised by truth. There are ways, though, of telling the truth that are, that are, are merely designed to, to kind of, um, you know, hurt people, I think. Uh, there are ways of telling the truth that are uh, designed to just, just win, just make a point. And I, I actually think with the metaphor of, you know, culture wars, for example, like the metaphor of war for the way we go about that's that's a metaphor in which you, you can only win a war or, or come to a truce, but that's the wrong metaphor to have in your mind uh, for the way we go about society. It's very hard to be gentle to somebody when you're fighting them. Um, and so truth is not a weapon. Uh, truth with Jesus is, is, is utterly intermixed with gentleness. The cat is coming in to tell me I've gone too long. Um, I really think this is something to shoot for. Um, I think Christians at their worst in public commentary uh, f fail to be gentle, but you can also fail to tell the truth. And I reckon that's a really tricky kind of balance to get. Um, the more we kind of realise that as a, as a church we're not, we're not kind of in a privileged position anymore, the more we realise that this, you know, this is not a, quote, Christian society, right? It, it's just a society. Uh, and so don't feel like we have kind of all sorts of rights. I think that will help us learn to tell the truth in a gentle way. But I think we shouldn't retreat from telling the truth, um, but we should aim to do it for the sake of loving people. Yeah. I mean, that's all just generalities. I think doing it is actually hard. Um, there's some 
there's some tricky things coming up, right? There's, there's um, conversion therapy legislation on the table in New South Wales that I think is, you know, has some pretty problematic parts of it. Uh, we're about to, in November, New South Wales is about to implement um, legal euthanasia. Um, and I think that's a disastrous change uh, in our kind of, um, you know, legal system. And I think telling the truth about those things in a way that still feels gentle to people is really, really difficult. Um, but I think it's a good aim to have. I mean, they're just two, they're two random examples because people emailed me about them this week, not because they're the most important or anything. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Well, Jordan, I've probably gone on a bit long now. I could take one more if it was like a Dorothy Dix, but other than that. All right, yeah, I think, I think. Thank you for that question, Caitlin. Um, and I hope, I hope we'll keep talking about that. Yeah, I'll sit down. Do you want me to introduce the song? We're going to sing a wonderful song, actually, that is full of this kind of hope in mission. The reason we picked it for after the service it has this wonderful verse towards the end. Um, I cannot tell how he will win the nations, how he will claim his earthly heritage, how satisfy the needs and aspirations of East and West, of sinner and of sage. You, you know, I don't know how this is going to work, but this I know it goes on, you'll see. So use this song to uh, kind of express your faith that the Spirit is at work and he's good. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.